What's up, everybody, and welcome to Chapter 1 of Hipstery. I'm your host, Nick Floyd, and I'm podcasting from downtown Franklin, Tennessee, a mecca for hip and artsy culture on the outskirts of Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. On this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the history of hipster, a.k.a. hipstery. So let's go ahead and slip out of those Clarks you're probably wearing right now and dive right into today's episode. Chapter 1. Indie Music. Independent music, or indie music, has really become its own genre of music in the past six to eight years. It's essentially become its own scene. Bands who exclusively signed independent label contracts to stay out of the quote-unquote mainstream. But do the people who listen to indie music truly understand what it means to be indie? Do they know how it all started? Like we normally do, let's start from the bare-bones basics and work our way towards that bright light of information. Independent music, often shortened to indie music, is music produced independently from major commercial record labels or their subsidiaries, a process that may include a do-it-yourself approach to recording and publishing. The term indie is sometimes also used to describe a genre such as indie rock and indie pop. As a genre term, indie may include music that is not independently produced, and most independent music artists do not fall into a single defined musical style or genre, and usually create music that can be categorized into other genres. It just wouldn't work as a genre to call it independent rock or independent pop. All it would do is call back Destiny's Child's Independent Woman. Speaking of a callback, indie music, mostly indie rock, appears to have originated in the United States and United Kingdom in the late 70s and early 80s. The BBC documentary Music for Misfits, The Story of Indie, pinpoints the birth of indie as the 1977 self-publication of the Spiral Scratch EP by Manchester band The Buzzcocks. The term was originally used to describe record labels and became associated with the music they produced and was initially used interchangeably as a subgenre of alternative rock. But over time, the term's meaning seemed to change as quote unquote indie bands were breaking into the mainstream. By the 1990s, bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Hole were achieving commercial success and widespread exposure and the term alternative lost its original countercultural meaning. Grunge had exploded onto the scene. The term indie rock broke onto the scene shortly after and became directly associated with the bands and genres that remained dedicated to their independent status. By the end of the 1990s, indie music, which was previously a subgenre of alternative rock, now had its own number of subgenres and related styles. Enter the early 2000s with bands like The Strokes, The White Stripes, The Hives, and The Vines, who were independent bands that broke onto the commercial scene in a big way. They were soon followed by bands like Death Cab for Cutie, Modest Mouse, and Bright Eyes. But this brings an interesting topic to mind. The classification of independent comes from the mainstream success of quote-unquote indie bands. So this touches back on what was discussed in our first episode of the podcast. Are hipster culture and mainstream culture walking hand in hand? Even now, to be an indie artist, you need to have clout in the mainstream world. 
with means like crowdfunding, with Kickstarter and independent releasing, with Bandcamp. In today's digital world, this really blurs that line even further between hipster and mainstream. To further discuss the process of independent producing and releasing through means of crowdfunding, I talked to my good friend Jordan Woods Robinson. He's a fantastic independent musician and super talented actor who's featured on The Walking Dead, based in the heart of Orlando, Florida. Uh, the, the world of independent music, um, I, as you know, I, I, well, I don't know if you do know this. I release, I, I started up a project called Songs on Sunday a number of years ago. Um, and it's a, it's a team of songwriters and we all get together every summer and we take turns throwing songs into the proverbial pot, which is just a, a Google Drive account. And, um, <laughs> and we throw a song in and it's unfinished. It's usually, you know, it, it's finished as far as like, um, it'll, it'll have guitar and vocals, but it won't have any other instruments to it. So we upload it and then I have a, a whole network of musicians that take that song and download it and listen to it and then add their parts. So everyone gets to upload their own drums or guitar or bass or vocals or saxophone or we've had ukulele and we've had slide guitar and we've had accordion, you know, there's all these different things that people offer and it's just about what you feel is right again there's no there's there's no like ratings that you have to hit there's no um you know you you are adding what you think needs to be added in order to finish the song and that's a different thing than than having to you know uh, your goal being to to top the top the billboard charts for singles that week or something which is what a lot of artists are faced with um but uh that that in itself is a very collaborative effort that is you know taking um the the sum of the parts is greater than the whole you know and and uh and taking all of these ideas and and putting them all together into one song and and then sculpting that song sculpting all of those tracks and mixing it into a finished product and then releasing that and that to me is super independent because it's it's community driven it's um it's it's grassroots it's limited budget it's it's passionate it's fast it's dirty um and you know those adjectives don't always have to apply to all quote-unquote independent projects but um that but that vibe it 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 feeds the soul as opposed to feeling like you know you you have to do it in order to um in order to get a product out there you know like it's um i I think that has a lot to do with independent music like uh it's you you do it because you have to and because it's something that you want to share and you do it because um it you know and quite frankly it's a stepping stone i don't i don't know many independent musicians that would say oh you you want to yeah. Oh, you liked my music? You want to give me a tour? No, thank you. I'm an independent musician. You know, like there's a, there, there is, there is still a bit of a stepping stone aspect to it, but, um, in a, in a different, in a different context, you know, like, I, I don't know, at least for me, I'm happy to, to record music because it's what I want to do and because I enjoy doing it and because I, I think I'm good at it. And, um, and to be able to have that direct connection with your with your fans and with yourself and with your collaborators, I think is more important uh, to a lot of musicians than going into a you know bajillion dollar recording studio and having musicians handed to you and a producer who takes over your song and all that. Like that's it's just it's a different it's a different world. You know, uh, I could certainly be persuaded to have that, but um, I do enjoy the 
the, the, the power and the control over just being able to create my music the way I want to hear it. So with you considering yourself independent, do you consider yourself more to be indie rock or indie pop? That's a good question. I actually, my specific style, um, I consider to be indie folk rock. Um, because I grew up as a, a, a bluegrass musician in, in East Tennessee, um, grew up playing uh, fiddle and mandolin and acoustic guitar. And, um, y- you know, there, there's only so much a, a songwriter can do to, to mimic other artists or to, to, to try to emulate different genres or different styles. Like in the end, your brain, your synapses are still firing at the same speed that they have been, that they've been trained to do, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of my stuff is still grounded in a folk aspect of, um, lots of simple chord structures, lots of, um, lots of drones as a, as a fiddle player. There are always, you know, lots of drones and, and, um, and lots of notes carrying their way through the entire song. Um, and, um, and, and so this most recent album that I'm doing called Anthem is definitely grounded in folk. Everything was written on an acoustic guitar or a violin. Um, wow. But now the application that I put on top of that is definitely is rock, is indie rock. It's um, uh, like Arcade Fire or, you know, like big, big uh, drums, rock violins. I've got electric cello in there, um, heavy guitars, you know, uh, massive drums, big vocals. Like it, I'm using big, you know, uh, synonyms, but but um, everything is just. I want it to sound epic, and I the you know the the name of the album is Anthem because I want all of these songs to be anthemic. I want each of them to be something that um, uh, one of my listeners can listen to one of those songs and say, "Oh my God, that is that is my song." That that will carry me through this time of my life or that that takes me back to this time in my life or um and that is that's my anthem that's what i'm going to carry with me as i'm working through whatever it is that i'm working through um and i think a part of that is that um in in order to do to do that the song has to be emotional and has to tap into something other than just you know just sounding right it has to it has to come through the speakers and it has to resonate within you as opposed to just filling the room in a nice way so you spoke a little bit about it already so tell me a little bit about the independent process of funding and producing your new record anthem because you did utilize um crowd crowdfunding um with kickstarter and stuff like that so i did curious I was scared out of my mind um, because I didn't know. Like, I mean, first of all, the whole thing of having like an audience is new to me because of, and it's specifically because of The Walking Dead. Um, All of a sudden now I have people who actually want to, want to hear what I'm creating and want to, are curious to know what else is going on in my life. And that's, that's incredible. I've done Blue Man Group for 10 years, but that's anonymous. You know, I can walk, I can, I can take off the blue paint and walk out into a crowd of the exact same people and no one will know who I am, you know? Yep. Um, and so the idea of having, well, first of all, I asked, I, I made sure to go through and be like, if I did a crowdfunding, would you guys help me? You know, I've got a newsletter, I've got Twitter, I've got some other stuff. And I was like, I put up a, you know, a poll on Twitter. And I was like, is this something that people would be interested in helping me with? And, and I gave a lot of options. I, you know, there was one that just said yes, absolutely. Or one that said no, or one that said yes, if I can hear your music first or, you know, stuff like that and gave people some options. And, um, Overwhelmingly, the answer was either yes or yes if I can hear your music first. And so I very quickly put together three of the songs that are on the album. 
um, not quickly. It's I, the the parts are final, but I put together some rough mixes of them and put them up onto my website, and said, "Hey, here are my here are three songs for free. You can download them. They're yours. Um, you know, I'm going to re-release these on the album with a new mix. But this is my music. This is what's coming out of my head. Um, and then I gave people the opportunity to uh, to help with the album if they wanted to. And I started cheap. I started at five dollars, um, and then I went all the way up to I think my largest pack- package. Um, I didn't sell it, but my largest package was $2,500. Um, but uh, all in all, I did fund the album uh, three times over. I was looking for $10,000, and then I hit that, and then I um, gave out some more ideas. Uh, you know, and then I was like, hey, I can I can do a, a music video if I hit $12,500, and I hit that. And then I said, hey, I can, I can put up a merch store, and so everything will be available on my website um, if... Uh, if you want that and then people help me hit that goal of $15,000 and that's where I ended up um, and it was absolutely incredible to me to see the support of these people who you know in the grand scheme of things hardly know me but they've I, I, I made sure to ask them first permission in some ways and what they would like in order to have this be a good you know communication and a good relationship um, and I tried to give that to them and then I tried to give some packages that were personal I you know like handwritten lyrics and um, uh, uh, you know uh, lunches and uh, VIP passes to, to hang out with me after after the show at Blue Man and, and stuff like that you know and and um, and just trying to trying to bring it from the digital world down into the personal world to be like hey we're just right. you know we're all flesh and blood let's just talk to each other like like people do the whole process for this um, after the crowdfunding actually during the crowdfunding while this was all going on before I even knew if I was going to be finished you know completely crowdfunded or not um, I was already recording the tracks and and moving forward with it Um, and the whole process we did without any of the musicians ever being in the same room um, we did the same process as Songs on Sunday um, in which I recorded all of my tracks in my home studio. The drummer recorded all of his tracks in his home studio. Um, the, and then there's one guy playing uh, bass and electric guitar and uh, organ. And he recorded everything in his home studio. Um, and then we uploaded everything through Google Drive. We'd listen to it and give each other notes and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Um, and now everything is with a mixer in Austin, Texas. Um, who is recording, who is mixing everything without ever being in the same room as any of us, you know? So it is, I am still carrying that independent, like collaborative nature because I firmly believe, like, just like I can't change my brain to get out of, you know, folk music when I'm sitting down to write a song. Mm -hmm. um, If I sit down to like, I... Uh, if, uh, to fake uh, a bass part to the best ability that I want or to fake a drum part, you know, as as I hear it in my mind, that's only going to get me so far. And eventually it's all going to start to sound the same. It's all going to start to sound like it's coming from my brain. As opposed to if I send that same song to someone else and I say, hey, here's what I'm thinking, but you do your own thing with it. Trust your gut and lay something down. And I send it to an actual bass player or I send it to an actual drummer. They will not only give me a better product than I ever could have imagined, but they'll also right. do it in half the time because that's how they think. You know, that's their that's their life is to think drums. And so they just sit down and bang it out as opposed to me taking a full day of getting a half-assed job, you know? Wow. So why don't you... Uh let us all know when when you'll be releasing the new record, where folks can get it, where they can pre-order it, um, all that good information. Absolutely. So the album is coming out Friday, October 28th. 
Um, and it'll be everywhere. It'll be um, physical on my website, which is jordanwoodsrobinson.com. And you can pre-order it there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, just go to my shop and you can get it signed or unsigned and I'll ship it to you as soon as it launches. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it'll be on Bandcamp if you want to download it in um, super HD wave files to your computer rather than going to iTunes for MP3s or anything like that. You can get those to my website as well for a discounted price from the physical album, of course. Um, and also, if you ever see me at any of the Walker Stalker conventions or anywhere in person, I'm sure I'll have some on me and uh, and I can I can hand it to you in person. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be everywhere. It's gonna be on iTunes, Amazon, all the you know. I I think I, I'm still putting together strategies about this because as you know, strategies are important, but. Um, I think I'm going to wait to stream it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still thinking about that. It'll, you know, we'll, we'll find out on October 28th when the, when the time comes around, we'll, we'll see what actually happens, but, um, kind of like a, kind of like a movie release, you know, it's, uh, yep. you, when you, when you watch a movie in the theaters, you can't go home and stream it on Netflix the same day. You know, it takes a while. It goes, it goes to movies first right. and then it goes to DVD and then it goes to, uh, limited release and then it goes to streaming or whatever you know so um, I think that's not I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to, to ask that of people as well like um, if, if you want to hear it you can go to Bandcamp you can stream it on there there's no way for me to turn that off so you can listen to it on Bandcamp if you want to pay for it then you know uh, throw me 10 bucks or whatever and it's yours you can download it put it on your phone whatever you want to do um, but then I think for iTunes and stuff like that maybe I'll release it a little bit later but we'll see such is awesome. the plight of the independent artist of trying to figure out how to do this. All right. I'm now joined in downtown Franklin by independent singer songwriter, Allison Bruno. How's well, it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well in downtown Franklin. <laughs> yep. So let's jump into this and um, talk about the independent music scene and uh, the explosion of it recently. What do you how, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the explosion of the independent music scene? The explosion of the independent music scene, which is like a jumble of genres, right? It's pretty much every <laughs> subgenre of alternative rock music you could possibly imagine. Yeah, pretty much anything you can think of is indie music. So yeah. now, well, yes, which is insane. Like it's shocking to me that now it's kind of everything. It's yeah. a mishmash. Like it's electronic. It's pop. Like indie pop is an option. Right. Uh, I don't know if you saw that there is indie hip hop yep. also. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of like it because I can go on Spotify and just hit indie and then all kinds of music comes up under it and I, I'm never really disappointed. You, yeah, you can't be. Yeah. But it's a genre now, which is interesting because I do you remember when on iTunes it was like this progression over time of like uh, it went from trending now to something else like unheard artist. And then now it's actually an indie category on yes. iTunes. Yes. I feel like I should be under it and I'm disappointed that I'm not. I missed my chance. Maybe you are. It's I, a whole it's like its own page. You're right. Um, yeah. It's interesting to me because I feel like uh, everything that was trying that like that wasn't known or cool to know is now like everybody knows so right yeah what but happened that's the to that? point yeah. i think that's the idea of independent music now 
versus so, before. Yeah. Yes. Because it was all about being undiscovered, but in order to make it successfully as an as an artist, you have to make it commercially to a certain point. Right. Almost to the mainstream. So it's all crossing yeah. again, which is what we talked about on last last exactly. week's episode. Yeah, it's kind of funny how it all links together. And if y- it's interesting that some bigger artists are now considered or call themselves indie artists when they might have been, you know, strictly pop or rock. Right. Well, like Taylor Swift. Yeah. With, you know, she went independent. Exactly. But she's selling out arenas and all that. It's weird. Like there's that line, you know, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it came from Macklemore and Ryan Lewis mm-hmm. because they were pushing like, oh, we produced it and we independently released it. And every record you buy for when the heist came out, like right. if you go buy this record, you're that this is this is where the money is going. And we put this together and it was our thing. Right. And I think that like no one in the mainstream knew Death Cab for Cutie for the longest time, which is I use that as a reference a lot because that's like the most commercially successful, I think collectively that like mainstream folks will listen to and then like hipster folks will listen to and they can come to agreement on it. It's tough because I feel like it's two sides of the coin. Um, It's really cool to see someone that well known do be able to do it and keep it strictly independent. Right. Um, which is, I mean, that's what indie is, right? Yeah. So I feel like when the bigger labels are involved, it's the, it makes it less what it was set out to do. You know? Right. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And I think that like, even in all the research in this episode, the idea of independent music becoming a genre and then having subgenres. So it essentially was a subgenre of alter- alternative rock and then indie music had its own level of sub subgenre. Like mm-hmm. it just kept going and going and is still going Yeah, like with lo-fi and like indie pop and electronica, like indie electronica, all that. Right. So they're like subgenres of that, but without commercial success and like a level of mainstream that it reached, I don't think that it would be able to be a subgenre or, or a genre with so many subgenres. So in a way, like it goes to what we talked about again and yeah. how I think that this podcast is going to keep touching back to mainstream and hipster culture are hand in hand, essentially. I mean, I feel like it kind of has to work together because um, I've never been that type of person that, uh, I mean, sure, if I sold out a stadium, that'd be awesome, right? Yeah. But I like the idea of being in a smaller setting, this, the, you know, like kind of the underground feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it's really cool to work it from the roots up. So, you know, like having your house shows and actually meeting and talking to the people that are listening to your music and telling stories in a different way than you can if you have like a 30-minute set. Um, I feel like sometimes you lose that when you break into mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, there's less of the personable touch, I guess. So, and I mean, I, it depends on the artist, I'm sure. That's just how I feel about it. Right. Um, 
I just, I think it's important to have that. And, um, but at the same time, you kind of are working towards being mainstream. Like you want to be heard or you want your songs to be heard. Um, you want your writing to be acknowledged, you know? So how else do you do that without somewhat breaking in there? And, and I feel like you see that with a lot of different songwriters too. I mean, Mm -hmm. man, you go around and you're, only known for the songs that you write and eventually some of those become performers. So, I mean, I I do think it goes hand in hand, but it's interesting that it sort of started as an independent, you know, underground, quiet feel that, you know, you kind of grow up feeling like you know these people and they seem accessible to you and it's cool to kind of watch it go from that to mainstream. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I do think it goes hand in hand and I don't know. It's kind of a contradiction in a way. It's, it's frustrating. Like I think this is going to go down. Uh, This is the one episode that I had the most excitement about doing because it's such an, a fascinating world Mm -hmm. and it's like, at what point do you want to be, an indie artist, but then you start finding commercial success and you start finding the mainstream, like the 1975, for example, when they were putting out EPs and stuff, there wasn't this commercial success that was there. And Mm -hmm. then they sold, you know, over a million dollars in merchandise and 16 and 17 year old girls became their fan base and they, became more culturally mainstream than like Taylor Swift or Mm -hmm. Selena Gomez or anything like that. So it's just so interesting because at the end of the day, every artist starts as an indie artist unless they're signed to a major label directly. Mm -hmm. But even, I mean, boy bands and things like that, they will, they will put out their own records and independently like completely and then tour and then a label will sign them right. to which all of that goes away like i've seen artists get signed and everything they did independently is gone mm-hmm. it's wiped it's pulled from the internet and whether that's creating a new front and look and feel to the band that's its own like monster the label remolds them to be the band that they want to be right or the, the, the label wants them to be, but everything is gone. And I've seen it happen so much where, you know, bands will blow up and you can't find like Adele, mm-hmm. her EPs that she released a long time ago. You can't really find them anymore unless you really dig on the internet. Yeah. And I kind of miss those days where you could find things that were overseas that you could download or stream or whatever. And, uh, it, it was stuff like that. That yep. artist you like, it was kind of, you know, hidden or whatever. And I feel like you can't, you don't have access to that as much anymore, which is a shame. Unless it's a marketing thing and they yeah. release like a, you know, a vinyl of it as an exclusive and say, hey, you can get the first three three songs from so-and-so on Record Store Day. And yeah. then you get it. And it's like, at what level is that not commercial? Yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. It's so, it's just, it's, it's not confusing and it's not frustrating. It's just fascinating. Yeah. That this is a whole culture and there's a whole culture surrounding it, which is hipster culture. Yeah. Surrounding, it's a genre of music that was, that has existed since the 70s, the Mm -hmm. late 70s, and is now meaning something completely different. Do you think that, so, 
grunge, for example, mm-hmm. was huge in the 90s. And it's still kind of now, right. but I've never heard anyone mention, hey, I'm listening to this new grunge band. You should listen to it. It's right. considered like, like lo-fi music mm-hmm. or um, indie rock music. And it, that's pretty much it. It's not grunge anymore. It's lo-fi or like indie rock or surf rock. You know, there's there are other genres. So what I'm saying is genres die. It happens. Mm-hmm. Like disco is not really a common. It's a genre. You can actually, you know, Daft Punk, like they their last record, they were like, oh, we're disco. Do you think that indie music as a genre is over time going to become so vague that it actually will just disappear? You know, I'm interested to see what music does as a whole. I feel like there is a ton out there right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of going back to what we talked about before. I mean, indie music has just become this big um, melting pot mm-hmm. and you know what do you do when you just overload it you know th- right. what happens so I don't know I'd be curious to see I, f- I do feel like I don't feel like it will fade away but I do feel like it will um, I can't think of the word it'll become too uh, overloaded like you're going to have right. way too much going on in one thing that you're going to lose the meaning of what it is and that what it was set out to be. Uh, and on that, on that note, <laughs> I think that about wraps it up today. Uh, that was super fun. It was. Thanks for having me. It was a good, good. Yeah. Huge. Thanks yeah. to my guests. First and foremost, the young lady in front of me, Allison Bruno. That's me. Thank you. And a huge thanks to Jordan Woods Robinson uh, for giving us a look inside uh, funding his own record coming out, which is great. And then a shout out to Tony Baxter for making a super dope logo uh, for hipstery, which I love. And she truly channeled her inner hipster making it, which is awesome. So tell your friends, but not too many of them because this podcast is cool as when only if you know about it. And when you can say I've been listening since episode one, I will memorize that in a few episodes and I won't have to read it back, which is what I'm doing. I'm not afraid to say that that's what I'm doing. So anyway, uh, to play us out today, we have the lovely Allison Bruno who's still here right now. Still here. To play uh, a wonderful song that I'm super excited to hear titled Stalling. So enjoy everybody. Until next week, I'm Nick Floyd and you've been listening to Hipstery. my eyes and I fall away I think about every word that you might say if we were finally be honest face to face maybe find myself here in this place where I'm tripping falling stumbling stalling all my words and my 